Hey everybody, it's Joseph. Happy New Year. I hope you all had some relaxing time off and enjoyed time with family. I know we've taken a couple of weeks off here ourselves because we are doing just that, uh, but we are really excited to start 2024 off with this episode with Kurt Owens. Um, yeah, just wanted to say that. Enjoy the episode. Seeds Podcast. I'm Joseph. And I'm Ellie. And today we are joined with Pastor and Mr. Kurt Owens. And basically how we met is I was on summer mission in Milwaukee with crew two summers ago, so 2021. And one of the um, organizations we worked with was Bridge Builders. And we also got to help like we didn't really do much, but we got to see you flourish before it was opened. And that's the church he now pastors at. So we kind of like gutted some of the old carpeting and all of that. So that's where I met him a couple summers ago. And then recently, as I moved back, I got to see him again as he's now a pastor at a church. And yeah, so that's how I know you. But we're so glad you're here. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yay. So that's my first question for you. Since I met you in Milwaukee all those years ago, <laughs> what do you love about Milwaukee? What's kept you there? Why do you love it? Oh, man. Well, well, one is, uh, you know, I've always been like a hometown kid. I just love the fact of, of where I'm from. I take a lot of pride in that. You know, I love all of our sports teams. I love the fact that we have four seasons, even though, you know, people move from out of Milwaukee and they go to Florida somewhere and they show <laughs> the, sunny, the sunny weather while we're dealing with the cold. But I love everything it is about, uh, you know, our, our, our city. And uh, and actually, you know, I love the history of our city. There was one point in time where M Milwaukee was a, a thriving community. People moved here to make a better life for themselves. Uh, there was lots of jobs. And I just, just kind of grew up during that time of all that amazing history uh, before we had the, the downturn. And so now my heart is just... Really want to see Milwaukee get back to what it used to be. Want to see it thriving. Would love to see the people thriving. And, uh, and I just feel like uh, I've, I've got a heart call uh, to the city. And so yeah. how much, I, uh, how, how much uh, you know, it, it may be tempting to, to move someplace else, even on the outskirts of Milwaukee, like uh, my call is here. And, uh, and that, that's just something that I've grown to love. That's good. That's cool. I didn't know you were born. So were you born and raised in Milwaukee your whole life? Born and, born and raised in Milwaukee. My parents uh, were from um, Mississippi. And, you know, there was this great migration that happened in the 60s and 70s and 50s in, in some senses. And my parents were a part of that. And wow. Raised a family here. And, uh, yeah, again, a lot of people move to Milwaukee uh, to make a better life for themselves. Mm -hmm. Totally. I know a little bit about Milwaukee, but I don't know a ton about the history of Milwaukee. So could you walk me through kind of um, the, a little bit of the history of what it means to you and then the transition from the thriving times to the downturn? And then also, this is a lot that I'm asking of you right here, but also what you think it'll take to get back to that thriving time as well? 
Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm a 70s kid. I was born in the 70s. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, 1970. I'm going to date myself. Why not? Uh, uh, but, but early, uh, early seventies, late seventies, eighties, you know, I saw, uh, Milwaukee where, I mean, it was a blue collar town. There was lots of, um, really good paying blue collar jobs and whether it was Harness Figure or A.L. Smith, Alan Brandt, I mean, there was just, Mm -hmm. Milwaukee was just full of jobs and, you know, growing up, seeing a, a lot of my friends and their parents um, working at some of these companies, as well as my dad as well. And it's like uh, there was lots of home ownership. I saw a lot of African-American home ownership uh, in our community. I remember, I mean, at, at some juncture um, in the in the 70s, we even had a multi-ethnic community. I remember that. <laughs> before uh, what they call the white flight ended up happening. But I I do like vividly remember, um, you know, a thriving community. I remember, um, you know, we had these campaigns, keep Milwaukee clean. Um, You would see that on, um, there would be trash cans all over the place uh, saying keep Milwaukee clean. There would be billboards, it would be uh, on TV news. And so there were this, this great level of pride in, in, in the city of Milwaukee and and somewhere along the line, I think, uh, you know, um, you know, you, you got to love capitalism, but there's some, some downside to capitalism as well. We don't talk about that enough. Uh, and part of that was like uh, moving jobs overseas. And I think when some of those jobs got moved overseas, um, you know, it looked like a good thing at one point, but it just really began to have a impact on the city and uh, communities began to um, be deserted. Um, so you had a lot of people moving to the suburbs, uh, you had jobs that were leaving, and then you had the drug epidemic that began to happen. And then there was gun violence uh, that began to, to uh, come into the city. And let me just say that there was nothing, there was no such thing as gun violence in the 70s and the 80s. I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. see that. At, at all. Um, and uh, probably uh, mid to late 90s, we began to start seeing gun violence in Milwaukee, which was unheard of. Um, and so I think some of the things that would have to happen in order for Milwaukee to kind of make a comeback, um, um, you know, th- th- there has to be that economic impact of, um, of, of good family supporting jobs in the community. But there also has to be, um, you know, a greater uh, level of home ownership in the community because much of the community had ended up being like rental properties and and some of the people who owned the properties didn't live in the community, didn't live in the city, didn't live in the state, in some cases didn't live in the country. And uh, and so we just really began to start having a problem. So, so yeah, definitely uh, economic impact and, and, and changing the home ownership structure uh, in the city of Milwaukee, I think will be some things that will uh, help turn things around a little bit. Wow. You have nice. so much insight. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I guess yeah. that's a good segue because um, I was kind of hoping you get to talk about bridge builders since you are the president and founder, right? Yeah. Um I basically all I did the summer I was here was build a fence <laughs> for a house that you were trying to sell to get a like a, a homeowner into that neighborhood. So I'm curious, like what is Bridge Builders? Tell the people who are listening who don't know at all what it is. What's the gist of it? <laughs> yeah, well uh, Bridge Builders is uh, um 
neighborhood revitalization organization. Our mission is to inspire uh, inner city innovation that will holistically transform neighborhoods one block at a time. Um, now, we see holistic transformation in four quadrants, and, and one is physical transformation, which you had a part uh, to help us to do that, uh, the building a fence. And so we can train, change the physical landscape of a community. Research shows that uh, when the physical landscape of a community changes, for the better, crime goes down. So if we can uh, bring forth physical transformation by continuing to come alongside residents, buy dilapidated properties, renovate those properties, just to change the exterior physical landscape of community. The second part of that uh, holistic transformation is economic. And so what we want to do is, again, when we take those homes and renovate those homes, we help uh, increase home ownership. And home ownership is probably one of the greatest ways to build wealth. Uh, in a person's life. And so that economic um, um, transformation is key for us. And the other part of that is helping to create uh, for-profit businesses um, that will pour uh, economic impact back into our community. And so we've done some of that as well. The other three, two parts of holistic transformation besides um, um, the physical and economic piece is, is one cultural. Um, you also had an opportunity to be a part of that. Much of what we do is bring people together from the urban community and the suburban community together to kind of help bridge those relationships. That was big for me. Um, again, I kind of grew up born and raised in the city of Milwaukee, really never had much of an experience outside. But uh, once I did, it was, became very foundational for me and helping expose me uh, to, to greater levels of uh, of interaction with uh, society. Uh, but the last part of that holistic transformation is spiritual. And, and that for us is when you see the planting of Youth Flourish Church, not only Youth Flourish Church, but uh, we help plant other churches in the city of Milwaukee and beyond because we want to create uh, gospel-centered, community-minded churches in our community. So not only did Bridge Builders spearhead the, the planting of Youth Flourish Church, we launched another organization called Central City Church Planners. We launched uh, a for-profit, which my wife runs, called Faith Supportive, which also serves as a, as a, as a ministry to help support uh, some of the nonprofits. So, so those four pieces is really important. So that's what Bridge Builders uh, kind of focuses its attention on in the neighborhood um, again, we'll take a property that has uh, been uh, uh, problematic in the community. We'll purchase it. We'll renovate it. We'll spearhead homeownership. Or in other cases, we'll buy a property, uh, renovate it, and we'll turn it into what we call a lighthouse. The lighthouse is where we have a long-term missionary strategically move into the neighborhood uh, to be the gospel light on that particular block. So we've got about 170 blocks in our target area. Um, and for every six blocks, we have what we call the hub house. And that's where our staff works out of. So we'll never work out of a, um, a commercial building. We'll always be part of the fabric of a community because we want to infiltrate a neighborhood from the inside out. So it is a model um, that I took from my days of being a drug dealer. Um, so uh, I, I wasn't always on the right side. Of the law. But uh, but that was the model used to infiltrate a neighborhood with drug activity. And so I just taken that same model and use it, uh, using it for uh, gospel impact. And so um, there's a lot of layers to builders and 
you know, and, and sometimes it's difficult to even uh, uh, try to bring a visual to all that we do, but um, it's very strategic, um, intentional, and again, we're just kind of continuing to, to chip away and, and, and make impact. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. That's that's great. I'd love to talk about that transition uh, later on in the episode, but I would like to focus on bridge builders for now. Um, so as as you were starting bridge builders, what was the the passion or the drive behind um, the idea or like why do you want to get it started? And then also you talked about being strategic and intentional. So how does that play out when you pick a home or a homeowner or just making decisions for the business? Yeah, so uh, Bridge Builders uh, actually got started. I was planting, I planted um, three churches that I've pastored now. Um, and so we were uh, planning uh, our second church. And my wife and I were planning on moving to Grafton. Um, at that point, I'm like, we've had enough of Milwaukee. We'll come back and we'll do ministry here, but we won't live here. And I started doing informational sessions uh, for the church plant. And somebody came out uh, to, to the uh, um, informational session and just really listened to me. Now, the second church that I planted was a multi-ethnic church, and it was predominantly white church. Let me just say that. Uh, we were looking to become more multi-ethnic, but uh, and, and, and me coming on board was the start of that and planting that church. Um, and so somebody just came out and lit into me. Essentially, I was a, a black faith for a white church, going to make a bunch of promises and we're going to leave. And so and I'm just drowning in this in, in, in this informational session until I just eventually I'm just like, wait, hold up, man. Like I, I grew up in this neighborhood, like I went to school in this neighborhood, went to the movies in this neighborhood. And I just started naming all the things in the neighborhood that that I was connected to. And I'm like, in fact, I live right around the corner. And the moment that I said I live right around the corner, it seemed like I heard the world stop because I heard myself say I live right around the corner. And that's when he that's when he stopped. He he never he did, stopped attacking me. <laughs> and and I knew at that moment I'm like, I, I can't leave. And I, I went home that night, told my wife, We we can't leave. And so wow. uh we decided that we would adopt our block. So it started out with one block, we would adopt our block, and I started going door to door, um, you know, uh, talking to neighbors, trying to get to know the neighbors. Sometimes people didn't open up their door. Sometimes the door would close as I was walking up to it. And just really began to start that engagement piece. I started um, walking around the block, cleaning up the block, just doing a, a block cleanup by myself. So, and, and I did that intentionally because I wanted people to see me as the guy who cleans up the block. So when I knock at their door, they're they wouldn't think that I'm some weirdo or yeah. <laughs> whatever, you know. Yeah. People make <laughs> and so in the midst of doing all of this, after making promises, like we're going to adopt this neighborhood, we had a leadership change at the church um, that I was planting, and they decided they no longer wanted to adopt a block. And I'm like, okay, this is problematic. This is exactly the same thing that the guy accused me of <laughs> at the informational session. So I just like, I just told the church, like, Hey, with or without the church, I'm going to do this. This is my neighborhood. I made the commitment to live here. And so actually, I don't need the church to do it. And so um, I, I started, again, um, continuing to connect with the residents in the community. Um, I got connected with a mission a mission group. Uh, could probably, I don't know if you guys may have heard it, uh, Next Step. They're out of Madison, but they're, they're pretty much all over the country. 
and they didn't have any projects. And I'm like, I had a ton of projects uh, on the block because it was, at this juncture, it was just me. So that summer, I hosted about 250 missionaries uh, who came from all, all, all around the country. And it just changed the whole dynamic of everything because, um, you know, our alley where drug deals was happening in the alley. Now you got like 40 people in the alley and, uh, you know, drug deals stop and people are pulling over. They want to know what's going on. And, um, and the more people would ask what was going on, um, more people in the neighborhood wanted to get involved. And they were asking for my car. I didn't have a car at the time because this was just a grassroots thing. It wasn't an organization. It was an initiative. And I'm like, uh, but the more uh, questions I got about it, I'm like, well, I guess we got to start an organization. So we, we formed the organization, uh, put a, a really good, strong board together that was really diverse and, and men, women, uh, urban, suburban, black, white, you name it. Uh, we really wanted to make sure it was diverse. And and afterwards, uh, once we got going and started helping residents improve the community, uh, the church called me in the office and like, can we have that ministry? And I'm like, ah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I, I don't want to get caught up in church politics. And at that mm -hmm. moment, I'm like, bridge builders need to be apart from the church. Um, mm -hmm. It could have a mission, like a Christ-centered mission, but it last thing it needs is church people running it. And, <laughs> and, and it's crazy because, like, I'm, I mean, I'm a pastor, but my heart and, and my desire is for the community for which we serve. And, like, yeah. the last thing our community needed was another church service, our mm -hmm. community needed uh, the love of the gospel, the love of Christ, uh, right where people were at. And my end game was not for people to come to church. They never had to come to church. If we could love on people and they could feel the love of Christ right where they were at, that was that was enough. And so, um, mm -hmm. so I wanted to keep it completely separate. So Bridge Builder had its own budget, had its own uh, board of directors. And in fact, we did it just the other way around. Rather than a church getting started, um, launching a uh, nonprofit, a nonprofit launches the church because my second church plant, I walked away from that after about four years and 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 just decided like we're, I'm going to plant another church and I'm going to plant a multi-ethnic church from it from inception. And so that was you flourish. Um, so from inception, you know, we were able to plant a, a multi-ethnic church. We didn't have to try to become um, just from day one. We were multi-ethnic and. And again, the end game for bridge builders is not that people will come and show up at You Flourish. Sometimes it happens, but that's not our goal. Our goal is, again, to serve our community in ways that they had never experienced uh, the church. And so, um, so yeah, so that's kind of the story behind bridge builders. Um, so from 2017 up until now, we have the COVID year, uh, which made things a little rough. Uh, right before the COVID year, we probably hosted about 600 missionaries from all over the country. And that included uh, crew, <laughs> inner city. Uh, um, but yeah, throughout the summer, we just continue to have a consistent group of people coming in uh, throughout the summer, you know, making that impact uh, through, throughout our target area. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, that's super cool. It's great to hear more about the story and uh, it's very inspiring. Mm -hmm. I can't believe all that happened since 2017. That's a lot. Man, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, uh, yeah, it's hard to believe it's been even been 
man, that, that look actually I'm not I'm thinking about it. It's 2024. It's like wow, it's just about seven years now, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. What's and your I think it's oh sorry, go ahead. No. Uh what's your proudest accomplishment with bridge builders? What are you most proud of since starting it? I think probably what I'm most proud of is the resident engagement. Uh, we get more resident engagement today than some or other organizations who have a budget 10 times the amount of ours. Um, and, and we get more resident engagement. Um, and part of that is like, we don't decide what's best for the residents and invite them into it. Um, actually, we are a part of the community. Mm -hmm. um, we're not inviting the community into what we're doing. We're part of the community. And so uh, I think our mojo is that uh, we, we have presence. I live in the, I live in the community. Um, I got another, our community impact pastor. He lives in, in one of our houses in the community. And so we, we essentially we never leave. So I think when we started, we had some residents that were very uh, pessimistic. You know, I remember I was cleaning up um, the street one time and I had a resident tell me, don't make no sense for you to pick it up. Going to be right back on the ground again in five minutes. And I'm like, well, I'll pick it up again. <laughs> like, we're not going to be defeated. We're just going to keep yeah. on with it. And so people had lost hope um, and really didn't want to get involved. Just like, I'm either going to get out of here or I'm going to stay to myself and not be bothered with anybody. And so it, mm -hmm. it, it took a little while to get residents involved. And probably one of the most disappointing things for me when we first got started was we would have Saturday serve days where people would come and serve and volunteer in our neighborhood. And unfortunately, the part that, that, that used to bother me a lot was like all of the volunteers were white. And so you knew like most of the volunteers were all outside and it looked like nobody in this community cared um, because none of the residents volunteered. Um, but that changed. It changed. And now you come to our serve days and you'll see a multi-ethnic Saturday serve day. You'll see residents who are actually serving. And so um, so just kind of changing the whole cultural mindset of uh, the residents in the community was a, was a huge pool. But um, it's one that I'm proud of now. And I'm not ashamed to have volunteers come in and and see that we do got some residents here who care. <laughs> so, so yeah, that that's probably been probably the most uh, uh, defining moment uh, for me um, uh, at the, at this point. That's really cool. I think that shows like the fact that um, there's a commitment to the people and not just like the work that you're doing. It's not just about selling another house or like making a clean street. It's about like people feeling like they have the power to create change that they love. And like loving the areas that they're in. Yeah, that's really that's, that's really important. It's really important. Mm -hmm. Totally. Wow. So much. <laughs> so now I want to get into the transition of how you um <clears throat> let's just call it uh, a former life and um kind of transitioning, kind of what was the inflection point or the experience or what happened. Uh, from becoming a drug dealer and then using that model then to um, flip it on its head and create bridge builders and plant churches and become a pastor and all that. Yeah. What's your story? Well, sometimes people get the idea that I was a, a drug boy turned church boy, but it, actually I'm a pastor's kid. 
<laughs> so I was a church boy who became a drug dealer. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I didn't, our church was, was very dogmatic, uh, very legalistic. Uh, I wanted, I wanted Christ, but it seemed like Christ didn't want me. Um, and that, at least that was my understanding. Like, um, and I just thought it was too difficult. I didn't understand what kind of God this was that made you beg him. <laughs> and I'm like, and sometimes I'd be told, well, you got to go clean yourself up before the spirit would dwell in you and all that stuff. And I, it just never made sense to me because I'm like, if I got to clean myself up, like, uh, what do I need Jesus for? <laughs> uh, it just it never made sense to me. But anyway, I just like, just screw it. I, you know, I couldn't find acceptance in the church. So I turned to the streets um, at, at a very young age. You know, I started running around with gangs. And, you know, from 13, 14 years old, when I became a, a young adult, you know, it turned from gangs to, you know, drug dealing. Um, however, I became, I, you know, I, I was very good at, 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 at as a drug dealer. I mean, I, I made a lot of money. Um, I did not know what came with it. And there were some things that came with it that I wasn't really ready for, like being shot at, like being robbed three times by gunpoint and being put in a position where, you know, you, you're going to have to kill somebody or you're going to be killed. I was like, all that stuff. Like, I didn't sign up for any of that. I just signed up to make a bunch of money. Uh, and and and, and uh, the, probably the last robbery, you know, uh, a friend of mine got murdered, him and his dad. Uh, they got executed during a drug robbery. And then, you know, not long after, you know, I was getting robbed and I was told to get down on my knees. And this is the same thing that happened to a friend of mine. I'm like, get down on my knees. I know what this means. It means you're about to shoot me in the back of my head. And I, I, I just remember asking God to forgive me. I like that's all I had enough time for. And I saw that I was still alive. And I just like God, if you can get me out of this situation, I'm, I'm done. And at that moment, I'm like, uh, I told the gunman, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not kneeling down. Like he's just gonna have to shoot me while I'm standing up. And uh, then the other one, just like, well, where, where's the money? And and they let me uh, lead them out. I was on the second story. They let me lead them out to the uh, uh, back porch on the second story. And I reached underneath the banister as if there was some money there. And I jumped off the porch uh, barefooted and I ran like nobody's business. And trust oh, me, that day. I realized that like God was with me. Uh, I like, man, God spared my life. And I'm like, man, I'm done. And I didn't accept Christ at that point in time. I still didn't know that like uh, Christ, you could have Christ simply through grace. <laughs> I, I, I still didn't know that at that point, but um, I was done selling drugs and I ended up taking a job uh, as a delivery driver. And this is where that cultural piece came in for me, that cultural transformations, because after spending all of my time and all of my life in Milwaukee, my job is in Sussex. Um, and there's not a lot of black people in Sussex. People wanted to kill me in Milwaukee. So I just decided while I'm working in Sussex, I'll spend my social time in Sussex too. So I began to meet, start meeting friends and realize like, man, um, people are actually nice. <laughs> Out of here, I like it. Nobody's trying to kill me. Uh, my route was in Oconomo Walk and Jefferson, like all places in out west of Milwaukee that were, again, not a whole lot of white people. But I began to start developing uh, multi-ethnic relationships for the first time in my life 
Um, and like, man, it was, it was good. And, um, I, I worked my way up through that company, uh, got transferred to Jackson, Mississippi. Um, so I, I lived in Jackson, Mississippi for about four years. And, but the, the, the first week I got to Jackson, Mississippi, I got a knock at the door by an older white gentleman who wants to share the gospel with me. And it was then that I was introduced to Romans 10 and 9, and I couldn't believe it. It's like, if you confess, uh, if you, if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, God has raised you from the dead, you shall be saved. And I just could not believe it. I'm like, nah, you got to do that. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, let me make sure that's the King James Version. <laughs> it was the King James Version, but for the life of me, I couldn't figure out how that scripture got in there. And um, he kept making me read it over and over again, and he left. And I tossed and turned all that night. And, uh, you know, I woke up at probably about 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm just like, man, if that's true. Um, man, I've been saved since I was eight years old. And I, I cried like a baby because it's like all my life I lived on the outside looking in, not knowing that God was with me all along. It's the reason wow. why, you know, bullets fly past me and not through me. Um, it's the reason why, you know, even I, I didn't have to go to jail like many of my friends. Like God just spared me time and time again and uh, joined the local church uh, in Jackson. And when I moved back from Jackson, I planted my first church. Wow. wow. It's a whirlwind. Oh, man. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Praise Jesus. Man, he's, he's worthy to be praised. I mm-hmm. can tell you about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wait, when were you married through all of this? Uh, during my time in Jackson. And so when okay. I, when I moved to Jackson, my, my wife, me and my wife, we dated for seven years um, prior wow. to moving. When I moved to Jackson, we broke up. Um, um, I just wanted a new start. And so I just decided, like, probably a new girlfriend, will, <laughs> a new new. <laughs> New city, new job, new girlfriend. New girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, being I just wanted a new life. Oh, uh, <laughs> but she moved to Phoenix, Arizona. And the funny thing is, like, I remember my sister calling me, and she's like, um, "You know, I, I received salvation in Jackson." My sister called me. It's like, um, "Did he receive salvation?" I'm like, "Yeah, right." <laughs> she's like, actually, she she did. She's really received wow. salvation. Well, while she was in Phoenix. And so we we were, uh, so we stayed apart for about a year. But after about a year, we both ended up in Milwaukee visiting and had some conversation. And I was in the Lord. She was in the Lord. And conversation led to let's see what it looked like to get back together. And next thing you know, we were married six months later. Wow. That's yeah. so special. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy, though. What an interesting, like, break. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think that's a a testament to the right person will uh, God will put the right person in your place at the right time, and even yeah. if it means that there's some time apart, like you guys found each other again in Milwaukee, and so that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of cool that she's seen you like in some of the harder years of your life. Yeah, exactly. You both. <laughs> I'm only telling my testimony, but she has a lot of <laughs> We all have one. 
That is so funny. We were, we were neither one of us were really great people at that point, but uh, you know, with Christ, things exactly things, things change, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> That's so funny. So, um, how'd you know that you wanted to be a pastor? Yeah, I, I felt the call. Funny thing is, uh, I felt the call to pastoralship. Actually, when I was eight years old, like I knew that's what I would do. I didn't know when. I just figured it would probably be when I was old. And you know, it's <laughs> like when you when you're that young, you just think you might think old is like, oh yeah, maybe when I'm forty years old and old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, but but I knew it. I knew one day that's what I would do. How, when I didn't know, but I was always certain that I would be. And it's interesting because I've never met anybody else who's told me that um, until my grandson. My grandson is nine years old. And mm -hmm. since he's been six, he's been saying, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm like, really? Okay, I, can't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I haven't seen the kid say that since me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but I always known, even though my life didn't look like it, I always knew that that was on my life and like I wouldn't be able to be able to escape it. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So young. Now, but the church planting piece, you know, being a being a pastor and a church planter, um, it's two different things. <laughs> because I mean you can go get a job at a church and be a pastor. Um, but planting a church is is a whole nother whole nother ball game and and I had no idea that I would be a church planter. Um, I've always been entrepreneurial, um, even when I was a drug dealer, like I had, um, uh, opened up legitimate businesses, even though they failed, but I was always trying to figure out, like, I know I'm not going to do this forever. So let me start a legitimate business. So, um, you know, I'll have something else to fall back on. So was always entrepreneurial, um, but never, never really considered that I would actually start a church. I thought. Maybe I thought that I would probably take over my dad's church. And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, I, I know at some point I need to be in position to take over my dad's church. But but starting the church, um, yeah, that came when I left my church in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, my pastor there was like, well, if you're going back to Milwaukee, why don't you consider starting a uh, uh, a new Jerusalem in Milwaukee? And I'm like, well, all right, well, you know, um, we can get at a shot and uh and so I, I did that back in probably, I think, 2005. And I took most of the brunt of that church plant. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing, but we lasted for nine years. Um, we were able to purchase our own building and renovate it and um, all that good stuff. And um, But, like, I really had no idea what I was doing. I didn't, I didn't get my college degree until probably my fourth year of, a pastoring, you know, so it took me 19 years to finish my bachelor's degree. Um, immediately I went to seminary and, um, and then I just continued till I got my doctorate. But at the, at that point in time, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. And by the time I found out, uh, what church planning really looked like in a, in a correct sense, like it was too late. We already had DNA. <laughs> um, so really, so my second church plant, I really learned a lot. I, I mean, I learned a ton um, because I was able to look at uh, what I did the first time versus what I was doing the second time. Mm 
Um, and so the third one, um, you know, I was able to help other people plant churches in between the second and third church. So just continue to get more and more experience and more expertise into um, that that whole deal. And 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 the third one, I, I man, you know, I was much well more well prepared in um, you know planting the third church than I was the first and the second one. And then we just launched, we launched the church in Africa. We've launched the church, um, another church, just probably about three weeks. I know, probably two months ago, rather, um, which is, is is doing really well as well. So, so yeah, so that part has just really been neat um, to see the gospel yeah. uh, impacting spaces and places throughout the city, and like, and I, you don't actually have to be the leader of all of it, but to help raise up other leaders um, mm-hmm. and to be able to use their giftings in ways that God has gifted them. Yeah, being able to use your like innovation and creativity and the fact that you enjoy like that starting something new, whereas there's probably a lot of people who like would love to be a pastor, but that's scary to them starting something new. So being able to like partner with them is probably like a yeah. great way to love them. Yeah. And, and, and it helped me to, um, I, I think it all began to make sense to me as well, because there were points and times in my life where I had so much frustration. I would have all these ideas and all of this vision for companies that I worked for or other churches that I belong to. And, you know, it, it kind of caused conflict um, because I was never able to birth what was in me out. Um, and mm-hmm. I, under, I understand it now. And I tell other people that now, if you have vision and um dreams to get something out of you at somebody else's company or somebody else's church, it means that God is calling you to birth something. And so rather yeah. than fighting, rather than fighting the old guard, just kind of have the faith, walk away from the old guard and birth out what God is trying to birth out of you. Wow. That's so good. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe taking notes. I know. I was just like, where's my pen and paper? But we're, this is recorded, so I can go back and watch this again. <laughs> funny. Yeah. So currently at You Flourish, what is something you love about that church specifically? Oh, man. We have, uh, one, I, I love our diversity. That is authentic as authentic can be. I mean, we didn't force it. Um, the most beautiful thing I love about our church is the fact that um, – like we didn't start a church and tell people, you know what, we're going to be more diverse. <laughs> and, and you got people uh-huh. at the church who didn't sign up for it. The beautiful thing about our church is that everybody signed up to be a part of a yeah. church. Don't have anybody there. And it's like, man, the church changed. <laughs> it's like, uh, it didn't change. It's like uh, every, everybody signed up for it. And we have some of the most amazing people that we get to do life with. I mm. have never been around such an amazing group of people who love mm. God, love his people, and just is so willing to serve uh, uh, the, the community and serve others and just mm. never experienced this type of impact in the church before. And thank goodness that we're small enough that like we're able to, to, to dig deeper and some of those relationships, but yeah, the people is just amazing. Just, just mm-hmm. amazing. I, I could trust my life 
uh, with the group of people that we get an opportunity to do ministry with. So God has just really blessed us with an amazing community. That's so cool. I'm glad you're saying all that because that's what the church is like in the Bible. It's the people, right? That's good. <laughs> glad you didn't just say you like the new building. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but the, and, and, and even though that's a great story, the building is mm -hmm. a great story as well, but, um, but it's the people. It's the mm -hmm. people. Um, but the, the, the fact that we were able to launch out of our own building was definitely another testament to God because uh, we, we didn't have a building. Initially, so, uh, but, but that was definitely a testament. Yeah, it's yeah, awesome. Yeah, talking about bridge builders and you flourish, it all comes back to the people. So I, I love that. I love how it's you have a heart for the people of Milwaukee. Um, talking about the church plants, what's a lesson that you learned through uh, planting churches? Probably one of the biggest lessons that I learned is like, man, is that you don't have to finance God's kingdom. <laughs> like, um, man, this was a hard lesson because I mean, my first church plant, I financed it. <laughs> um, um, and 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 uh, my 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 second one, I learned, I mean, um, that. You know, there's people, there's organizations, there's churches that's willing to help see that through. And that just blew my mind. That blew my mind because in Central City, uh, most pastors, most churches that have been started, got started from a guy who had a vision and he takes his own money and he buys some equipment and he uh, rents a building and he invites people into it. <laughs> um so I think probably uh, to see the body of Christ rise up to help make you flourish a reality was just amazing. The church partnerships that we had in the suburbs um, and in the city, um, some of the church plant organizations that came around us was just absolutely amazing. I mean, we didn't even have all the money that was needed to purchase uh, the building, and we had a church that stepped in um, in a big way and wow. said, we're going to give you the difference so you can acquire the church to plan out of. I had another church step up and say, hey, um, we're going to support the salary of your associate pastor. And so just seeing, um, I've never seen God's hand work so mightily than I have over the last two years. Every need that we've had, like God sent somebody to fill that need. Wow. And the need was never for a long period of time. It's like every time the need, the need came, a need got filled. And it's been just probably the most amazing journey I've ever seen in, in my life. And this helped me to understand as well, like when God calls you to something and when you say yes to what God has called you to, like a soldier doesn't have to pay his own way. <laughs> uh, somebody else's army. It's like, so God has just opened up every door for his will uh, to move forward. Mm -hmm. So it's like a stamp of approval, like God, like he wants yeah. to at this time, in this community, um, in this season. So like he makes it, he makes it happen. And so, um, so that part has just been absolutely amazing and quite the faith wall. Yeah, for sure. Man. Okay. Well, we've talked about a lot of things, but um, we always ask each guest, what is a defining moment in your life and how has it shaped you? 
you shared a lot, but maybe there's one more you could think of. <laughs> I, I, I think probably the defining moment in my life would have been, um, and, I, and I can't say it was just one instance, but it was a, it was a series of instances that were closely uh, aligned in a close amount of time. And I think that was the time of being robbed by gunpoint, telling them to get down on my knees, um, taking a job, making $7.50 an hour, which was nothing <laughs> uh, at that point in time. To uh, One part of the story that I didn't share was like my boss um, put his arms around me and and like moved me up in the company in a year. In a year time, I go from being a delivery driver to running 13 branches around the country. Uh, wow. And that was all due to some boss who wasn't a Christian who just loved me and, and poured into me. Um, and to going to Jackson, think about this. I go to I go to Jackson, Mississippi, and Jackson, Mississippi is where some stranger knocks at my door to share the gospel. Yeah, what? Like a, a pastor did. I heard the gospel in my but obviously the gospel that I was hearing wasn't <laughs> wasn't doing anything for me. So God took me <laughs> all the way to Jackson, Mississippi to hear the gospel. And it impacts me in ways. So, so those those three moments make up probably the defining moment in my life, and it helps me to connect the dots. Like yeah. God, like He's doing He's doing something. You don't see it at that point in time, but like God got something going. He's got. Oh something going. Yeah. So yeah. That that was definitely a defining moment for me. That's so cool. Okay, can I pray for you? Absolutely, beloved. All right. <laughs> Dear God, I just praise you right now because your timing is perfect all the time, um, ever since 1970 <laughs> and beyond. <laughs> and God, we just thank you for that. Thank you for Pastor Kurt. Thank you for his wisdom and his humility before you and before the people around him and really just wanting to see communities changed for you and the gospel. And that's that's the core. And so we just praise you for that. I pray for him as he helps lead bridge builders and you flourish god give him um just the strength every day emotionally spiritually physically to do that i pray that you'll surround him with people who also have a vision for the gospel god help him to know what next steps you should take and what churches to support what next steps to take with bridge builders god i just pray for him and his family too lord him and his wife and his kids and his grandson um and all his family members lord help them to just continue to grow closer to you and each other and I pray for you, Flourish, that church would continue to grow and that um, just all the people there will meet you and get, get to know you more and more. And we just thank you for this day. Thank you for Milwaukee. Thank you for your love for us. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Kurt, thank, thank you, you so much for being on. This has been great. Um, I can't wait for this one to air. All right. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye. Have a good week. <laughs>